0: listening to the oil and gas this week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry.
1: You're listening to oil and gas this week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us again for episode 211. How's it going, Mark?
0: It's going awesome, Paige. And speaking of numbers like 211, guess which podcast is the 15th, that's one five, the 15th most listened to business podcast in the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago? I will assume this one. Yep. So we, we bumped it up. We were number 27. Now we're up to number 15. So <laughs> all your business people in Trinidad and Tobago, we appreciate you very much helping us climb the ranks. Our goal is to be in the top 10 business podcast in Trinidad and Tobago.
1: Just there, right? Just there, yeah. okay. Because
0: as soon as we can start traveling again, that's where I want to go. We're going to do some live <laughs> podcasts from Trinidad. I don't care Get where. I this. don't
1: care where we go. Do live podcasts from. <laughs> so we got some reviews. Um, the first one is uh, worth the listen and fast moving. As someone that has spent thirty years in in the land. Operation side of the pipeline business, USA and Canada, and now venturing out on my own, I appreciate the regular roundup of happenings in the industry. I also appreciate the positive vibes you guys bring to the show. Keep it up.
0: That was a five-star review, was it? Yep. I think we got another one.
1: Yep. Somebody spelled your name wrong, but that's okay. Mark LaCour is a must-listen. Your insights and your platform provide a much-needed form in arguably the most (laughs) necessary and relied upon global industries. Thank you, Mark. You're being heard and noticed from down south in Livingston Parish, Louisiana.
0: My Gulf Coast downstream process.
1: What is that? Between Baton Rouge and Hammond?
0: Yeah, down to Bayou. They they like to think that they're in the swamp, but they're not Not the swamp, they're in the north part of it's, the swamp. You know, I'm from I'm from Zachary everybody So big shout out to Livingston Parish. <laughs> <laughs> you got the white boots on. Yeah, I guarantee you. And then Paige, you know, we got this mystery gift at the corporate mailbox OGGN, I don't know, it was a week ago? And we opened it up and it was some calendars. And so I just want to give a big, little shout out to BJ Jackson at uh, Hamlet Valves and Fittings don't know BJ, was nice enough to send us a couple of calendars for this year. I just thought it was a sweet thing for him to do.
1: Maybe it's just a markdown of how soon 2020
0: ends. <laughs> how much we want it to end. He actually reached out to me on LinkedIn. I connected with him and he just told me, hey, look, I love what y'all are doing. I just thought I'd send y'all a little gift. Oh, that so was we appreciate sweet. It. it was sweet. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, all right, let's get into the news stories. Uh, first one, this is the big one. Chevron picks Noble in biggest U.S. energy deals since the oil crash.
0: And how much do they pay for, for Noble? A big chunk of change, about five bill. Okay. So here's the cool thing. Remember when their deal fell through with Oxy? hmm I mean, with Anadarko with an- Oxy? Yeah, yeah, right. So the penalty that, that Anadarko had to pay Chevron was a billion dollars. So thank you, Anadarko, for helping Chevron buy Noble, right? <laughs> <laughs> you were 20% of what it took for them to buy. Now, this is an all-cash deal. Everybody in the industry knows that this sort of stuff was going to start happening. Yep. And here's a perfect example. This is a, a, a good article on CNBC. The problem with CNBC is they don't really understand the oil and gas industry. They pointed a lot of reasons they think Chevron did this. Let me tell you, Chevron's doubling down on the mm-hmm. That's, This is There's other stuff they're getting for this. Yes, I get it. Um, it was the right time. Yes, I get it. Uh, Chevron had a lot of capital... Uh, Noble had a lot of debt. Yes, I get it. But this is literally Chevron picking up uh, assets in the Permian for, for pennies on the dollar, which is which we knew this was going to happen. So the good thing about this is uh, once things get uh, combined and settled in, this is job security for everybody. The new company is going to move forward. It's going to want to grow. This allows Chevron to operate those fields more effectively, which means they can make money at a lower crude price. We're just a hair over $40 today. So um, I expect more of this sort of stuff to, to go. You, I think you can see a lot of consolidations still happen with the service companies, which we'll get to later. My big thing is, pages. what is Exxon doing?
1: I know. I know. I, I actually saw someone comment about that on a, on a different uh, thing on LinkedIn, and I was just like, yep.
0: So all my buds, all my friends, all my business acquaints, all my listeners at Exxon, I love you to death. I know y'all are up to something. I'm watching you, right? (laughs) I don't know what it is yet. And if I ever figure out what it is, I probably won't say, because I don't want to be the guy that messed up the deal. But Exxon, I know you're up to something. I just can't figure out what it is yet. They're always up to something. They are always up to something. And they always make good decisions. Right.
1: What's next? Boehm proposes new GOM lease deal.
0: Yeah, so this is a really interesting, and if you actually read through this, they're talking about they want to uh, basically lease out about 80 million acres, uh, and 80 million acres sounds like a whole bunch of acreage, but the actual Gulf of Mexico is 600 square miles, which is... 3,840,000,000 acres. <laughs> so now all of a sudden, this doesn't sound like that big a deal. You know? But the Bureau of Energy Management has let everybody know they released, uh, actually, they said 78.8 acres, so not quite 80, in the Gulf of Mexico in November. Now, you know what the cool thing is, Paige? Hmm. You know how they to auction this thing off? How? They're going to live stream it. Oh, no kidding. So not WebExit, live gonna... stream it. Wow. So. Boehm, if you want some help with live streaming, we've figured out how to do it. We know all the problems, everything. Let us know for a small fee. We'll help you with this. It's supposed to be, be kind of cool to actually live stream with y'all. I
1: don't know if the government's going to pay us,
0: Mark. <laughs> I'm just saying. Give us one half of 1% of whatever these lease blocks go for. I'll do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> but this is just uh, the head of this is Mike, uh, head of, uh, of Boehm's Gulf of Mexico region, basically saying this is a fundamental role for our nation's energy portfolio. And it's one of the most productive basins in the world that we just need to develop this resource. So they're doing it. It's awesome. It's This is job security from a whole bunch of states in the Gulf Coast. I mean, literally, probably from Texas all the way to maybe even Florida. You know, this is going to add to your local incomes, your taxes tax base and everything else. So it'd be interesting to see who bids on this and see actually what it goes for. I got a feeling offshore starting to pick back up, even though I know this industry is in a really bad place. I see offshore picking back up and this might be the first hint of that.
1: Yep, exactly. All right. Next article, Halliburton, Microsoft, and Accenture form agreement to advance digital capabilities
0: done. (laughs) (laughs) This has been happening. We've watched other big tech companies come in and partner one-on-one with the big service companies, the big operators. This has been needed to happen with Halliburton. Halliburton still runs a lot of its own data centers. Hey, Big Red, I love you. I used to sell you access to your own data centers 25 (laughs) years ago. Um, So I get it. But this is moving over to Microsoft Azure, which is uh, one of the most robust cloud offerings out there now that Google's out of the mix. And this is Microsoft uh, working with Halliburton under the direction of it, Accenture. So you can almost think of Accenture as project managing this. Yeah, So everything rolls off and and you just don't get much better than these guys, right? They're going to pull it off. There's going to be some work involved, but when they're finished, it's going to be cheaper for Halliburton to operate. It's going to be much more scalable, uh, much more secure, and it's just needed to happen. It is really cool to see these three come together as a partner. It's not unexpected. You know, this this building out the digital competencies with the Large operators, large service companies is something that's vital to move toward the future. And honestly, if you're a company and you're not looking at doing this, you get left behind. So, you know, once again, even in this low crude price environment, even though we're still locked down, here's some jobs, and here's some prosperity for Halliburton, Microsoft, and Accenture as they work to get, pull this thing off. It'll be interesting how long it takes them to do this. I bet it's going to take them at least at least 24 months from beginning to end. Probably. Yeah. At um, least. Yeah, which is honestly not a very long time frame to move everything over. But you know, good for everybody here. We know all these companies, so good for all of y'all.
1: All right. So energy trader Vitol enters U.S. oil and gas upstream.
0: This is interesting, Paige. So Vital is a trader. They're not an operator. They have no, as far as I know, they have no operations here in the U.S. And so what they're doing is they're actually going to buy some mature oil and gas assets, mostly gas. Now, once again, they have cash. The industry in the U.S. is hurting, so you'll be able to pick up assets, for, you know, pennies on the dollar. Some of the major producers.
1: That have that have filed bankruptcy. Filed
0: bankruptcy. Yeah. Right? Chesapeake winning, California resources. So. You know, this is smarter. The only thing that I'm a little aware of, I'm not going to say concerned, but aware of is that usually the traders don't do well in operations because it's a different business model. Now, however, if they can figure it out, which I think they'll probably just hire the right people since talent is cheap right now, they can figure out how to manage those assets in the production of natural gas. Then when they go to trade it, it gives them a competitive edge over the other traders.
1: And it looks like they have some upstream operations. They're just not here in the United States. So outside the U.S.? Yeah, it looks like Ghana.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, so they so they've tried this before. I wonder if they were successful or not. I don't know. I'd Ghana. have to look further into it. <laughs> yeah. But you know, this type of things being done slightly differently is is the future of our industry. You know, you know, we just talked about tech companies entering the industry. That's been happening. You can see more of that you can see more traders step in and try to own a piece of the value chain to give them a competitive advantage. You're seeing stuff you would have never guessed, like companies building their own private fiber network from the trading centers just so they get a two or three microsecond head start over their competitors so they can do do fast trading in a way that gives them advantage. So it's just, we're moving to a different world. This is kind of something you would expect. It will be interesting to see if the U.S. traders start following this thing as well, because once one of these companies do this and it gives them, say, a one percentage or even three quarters percentage edge on their competitors, their competitors are going to have to do this.
1: Yeah, and it looks like it hasn't been so smooth for them. It said last year, trader pulled out out of a $1.5 deal to buy
0: a stake in two major Nigerian oil fields. I wonder if they got that email from Nigeria.
1: <laughs> the prince.
0: <laughs> the prince. And they took it up on it. And only after one and a half billion dollars into it, they realize that it was oh, not Oh, my real. bad. Oops. <laughs> and Vital, I'm just teasing. I know you didn't fall for that scam.
1: All right. So, next one is U.S. regulators approve Elba Island LNG expansion. You
0: know where this is? Um, i give you a hint. We both live there. Louisiana. Another place we both lived that we didn't know each other. Oh, yes. wait. I don't, actually, I don't know if you lived there for long.
1: What are you talking about? Georgia, Georgia. I've never lived in Georgia. Okay, so your your parents, My parents live, yeah, yeah, live yeah. in Georgia. Okay,
0: all right. So what I should have said is the place of me and your parents lived. Okay. <laughs> but how cool is it that there's, there's a LNG plant being built uh, off the coast of Georgia? I didn't Which even know. Which
1: side is it on the Atlantic? It has to be. Oh yeah, duh. Because okay. <laughs> the other side is landlocked.
0: Sorry, <laughs> duh. It's called Florida. But does um,
1: that really count?
0: <laughs> so Elba Island started LNG exports last year, and so. Because of the pandemic and everything else, they, they haven't finished building the the trains. If you don't know what a train is, it's basically – when you drive by it, it looks like a, a refinery, except all these units are in a perfect line, and that's why they're called a train. They don't actually look like a train. But the, the train is what produ- – on one end of the train. you bring in – Natural gas as the gas, and on the other end, it comes out as a liquid, liquefied natural gas. So, there, this is them launching a seventh train. Last year, we, the U.S. became the world's biggest, the third biggest LNG uh, exporter, and we're chasing down Australia and Qatar. Eventually, we'll be number one. Uh, nobody can keep up with the growth because we have all the infrastructure been put in place for the last ten years. And so this one's uh, stepping up production, and it's really interesting. In the same article, we talk about another LNG plant that was supposed to come online in 2025, called the Jordan Cove uh, LNG plant, Mm -hmm. but the project has faced a lot of opposition because it's in Oregon, right, which tends to be politically a little bit different than Georgia. So the company- Like
1: completely different? (laughs) Completely different.
0: (laughs) So the regulators and the investors in Georgia are actually reaching out to the, the investors in Oregon going- Hey take your money and your expertise and come over here let's add seven more trains in Georgia and you can just shut down the one in Oregon so it's be really interesting when geopolitics starts moving investor money in places where it just makes it easier for them to do business, such as Georgia, and if anybody has anything to do with this, reach out to me. I, not so when things get back to normal, I would love to take a trip to Georgia, like as as a company, and actually shoot some video and see what y'all are doing with LG. That LNG, would be cool. Because I just not don't picture Georgia's doing this. So hats off to the regulators that saw the money they could make for their state and for the jobs they'd create to actually pull this business into a state. That I would not expect to have LNG. I just think it's awesome. Because at first I was like, are you talking about the country, Georgia? <laughs> right. So here's the bizarre thing. I, and this hasn't happened yet. But there's a couple of states up the east coast from Georgia, not that far geographically, that are buying Russian LNG. And they're buying it through the Caribbean. Watch they don't buy their own LNG from the U.S. They could get from Georgia, literally right down the street, and they're going to keep paying a premium for the Russian LNG coming out of the Caribbean. And I
1: know we've talked about this before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes no sense whatsoever. Now,
0: here would be really cool. What if the U.S.-Georgia LNG facility got to the point where it was exporting LNG to Russia, Georgia? So, Georgia to Georgia LNG. That would be a news story. <laughs> Let's make that happen, people.
1: Okay. All right. China owes 4 $42 billion to clean energy companies.
0: Yeah, so this is actually a really good article if you want to understand one of what's one of the constraints around uh, renewable energy. I hate the term clean energy because no energy is clean. Some are cleaner than others depending on how you operate. Uh, one of the cleanest is natural gas. Duh. So this is China, just like the U.S. does and Europe does, has given subsidies internally to companies that want to stand up renewable energy companies, solar and wind predominantly. And so what happens is when the government pays you to stand up a wind farm or a solar farm, part of your revenue stream is that government money coming in. Now, what happens, Paige, if that government money doesn't come in? Um, All of a sudden you got to compete in the market. Yeah. And you can't. Right. And so you go out of business. Hmm. That's what happens here in the US. China, because it's a communist country, is a little bit different, but the market economics are exactly the same. So here's China. You know, last year they announced they were cut the amount of their subsidies. I think it was, I think it was 800 million, I think it was 1 billion, they think they cut it 800 million. So they cut, you know, say 20% of the budget out for subsidies, but now they're not paying it. Right. Now, if you're a renewable operator, if you operate a wind farm in China and the government isn't paying you the subsidies that they said they would pay you, what is your option?
1: Bankruptcy.
0: Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Yeah, It's not like here we can go to court. Yeah. Right? I I wouldn't even know. You know, it's what's going to happen is- If this doesn't get fixed, and I suspect it will not get fixed, I suspect that China will say, "Okay, we said we would give eight hundred million in subsidies. We'll give four hundred, which should allow some of the renewable companies to survive." But when you remove the subsidies, if the business model doesn't stand on its own, it just collapses. And the problem with China is, and I'll give them credit. The last time I went to Beijing, it was this was years ago. It was the most polluted place I've ever been on Earth. I don't know how anybody could live there. And so, to try to clean that up, they're moving the country from coal fired to Natural gas-fired electrical generation, and they're trying to put as much renewables in as possible to drop the the pollution. So they came out of the gate really hard. They put a lot of government money behind it. Now it's just not sustainable. And with China's economy not roaring along because they're shut down just like the rest of the world, they're not going to have the money to put in this. And – Right now, natural gas is so cheap that if you go head to head between solar and natural gas from a, from a market point of view, natural gas is going to win every single time. So let's kind of keep an eye on this. I think this is the beginning of something you can see happen also here and in Europe. And you know, you've heard me talk about this before. It's not going to happen in the places where the renewables are small output, just to power a house and a refrigerator, and you know, charge up an iPad or whatever. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about trying to use renewables to keep the population in the whole modern age where you have air conditioners, refrigerators, and TVs and computers. And so I think this is the beginning of something you can see happen along the rest of the world. Now, the interesting thing from a market point of view, if this thing goes the way I think it will, at some point, the market forces will stabilize. And then the people that are doing renewables will make money because they can compete in whatever niche they're in. But we're nowhere near there. So let's keep an eye on this.
1: Okay, Halliburton shares rise as cost-cutting measures deliver results. Can we talk rumors? Yeah, sure. Okay. Why not? I mean, we were only called a communist <laughs> last, last time. time. So, I mean, we may as well talk about rumors. And
0: All right. So, Technique FMC is one of our sponsors. I have no insider information. None. Halliburton, I know, but I have no insider information there either. I think Halliburton is going to buy Technique FMC. You think so? Mm-hmm. I really think so. It makes sense from a bunch of uh, points of view. Halliburton has dominated the U.S. market as far as services. They've never been an offshore manufacturer. They've done a little bit of subsea work services work I, this just makes perfect sense to me especially since their competitor slumberjay is hurting so much in the u.s and at the same time baker hughes is going in a different direction but that's not what this article is about so that's strictly a rumor nobody invest a mo- rumor it's more of a theory mark uh, or a theory it'll be a rumor after everybody starts talking about it after they hear me talk about it but nobody please invest money based upon what i think's gonna happen but this is talking about halliburton's stock shares has went up which is amazing you know it's if you look at what they're doing, Jeff Miller has done a really good job. I hate to say this, has done a really good job of slashing workers, slashing budgets, and was able to bring and even slash Halliburton's dividend. But by doing all that, he's actually brought their free cash flow up, which is then driving their stock point up. So they they simply outworked what everybody thought they were gonna be able to do. You know, this is what something that Halliburton is really known for. If you know the service companies, it's kind of a joke. You know, if you look at Halliburton and Schlumberger, and let's say you lose control of a well out in West Texas, Halliburton will send hundred guys and fifty bulldozers, and they'll just beat the pipe into the ground until it's sealed and the leak stops, and you get control of the well. Schlumberger sends one smart guy that studies the problem for four days, goes and turns one valve and stops, the, the, and gets control of the well. They both charge the same, right? But they go about things different. Halliburton is known as as the the meat, the the big eight hundred pound gorilla in the world. So this is going to be interesting to see if if you know Halliburton's stock going up is going to give them a, a competitive advantage over their competition here in the U.S., which is really what this is about. And then they're looking at over $2 billion. Is that right? Yeah, $2 billion in write-downs for the second quarter, right? So this is all their gear, all their pumps and everything yep. that just aren't being used. So they generate most of their revenue in North America. You know, Baker Hughes is chasing them, and and so is Schlumberger. So let's just let's just see what happens here in the U.S. But I think when this all uh, shakes out, you could be left with Halliburton, who have bought Technique FMC, which is not part of this article, and you could be left with Baker Hughes. And I really think Schlumberger is going to pull all their operations out of the U.S. I know everybody thinks I'm crazy when I say that. I don't want I don't want any jobs to be lost. But you know, Halliburton right now, uh, you know, this is July of 2020. has done a good job of, of driving their stock back up.
1: All right, so Premier Oil completes deal to buy BP North Sea assets in 565 million dollar deal.
0: Yeah, so this is Premier Oil basically buying assets that BP has decided aren't economically viable. Doesn't mean that other people can't make money in the North Sea. Doesn't mean that BP if it really applied itself couldn't make money with these assets. It's just not worth their time right now, worth their effort. So you see this all the time as as fields get mature, you typically the super majors and sell them off to mid-size operators who can who are a little bit more agile than they are and can still make money at it. And then as time goes on, unless a new well stimulation technology comes on board as those wells produce less and less, then the mid-size operators sell them to smaller operators and eventually you're left with very small operators with one or two wells somewhere. Now the thing about the North Sea, because the environment is so rough and, and hard to work in it's so cold and so much wave action i don't ever see super small independents picking up wells in the north sea but you'll see a whole bunch of mid-sized people especially people that have been there for 100 years that know how to make money doing this so i expect any of the operators that have assets left in the north sea that aren't making money to follow the same thing that you just basically unload assets that you can't make money at
1: all right so opec has a new competitor as china ships
0: oil from swelling storage Yeah, I was just talking about this to somebody today. So the problem is nobody knows how much that storage is. And it's not just China. You have investors here in the U.S. that literally are storing oil in pipelines right now. You have a lot of this going on in the Middle East. Of course, a lot of it's going on in China. We actually spoke a while back how China is using this market opportunity to build storage. So right now they can make a dollar or two by buying oil, dirt cheap, and putting it back on the market in 2020. But then their longer-term plan is as that market opportunity disappears – As they start fracking in China, that storage is going to be there so they can store the frack oil and not have to build pipeline infrastructures like we did. It's actually really, really a smart strategy. But this is a a whole bunch of independent investors in in China that have bought a storage typically on the ocean. So they bought tankers or super tankers. I think there's 14 different depots that have these tankers stored, and they literally bought crude, when crude was uh, negative money, which don't think somebody paid them to buy the oil. They still paid for it, but they paid literally dollars for it. And now as the price is around $40, um, they're starting to put it back on the market. The investors here in the U.S. are doing the same thing, same way in the Middle East. The big unknown is how much oil is really there. No matter who you talk to and no matter where they get their information from, nobody can accurately predict the amount of oil that is stored. So as that stored oil comes back on the market, it's going to keep prices lower. Now, once that storage is depleted, then the market will bring prices back up. And once again, as I've been saying, I think that's going to happen the first quarter of next year, 2021. I think we'll get rid of all that storage. I think you see the prices rebound to 60 or $65.
1: Yep. Helps that everything's slowly opening up. So, all right. So this is a little bit of an update to something we covered in the past weeks. Uh, Russian mayor charged over Arctic fuel spill resigns.
0: Yeah, and they actually opened a criminal case against him. I I don't know the backstory. It is interesting to see in the media that a mayor.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what caught my eye about this entire thing. I was like, why the mayor? Yeah, what about the people that own the the facility? I it. Rosnet,
0: the, I think it was one of their facilities. So it is interesting. Why is the mayor being charged? If and I know we have a bunch of listeners in Russia. <laughs> we actually have listeners in hundred what hundred eighty two different countries. If any of y'all understand the politics, like, is the local jurisdiction in this case the mayor do they have legal responsibility what happens in their jurisdiction i don't understand why the mayor's being charged it
1: just says he was just charged with
0: negligence that's it yeah but what's the punishment for negligence in russia uh, I'm gonna guess death. I don't know if it's that bad, but I bet, <laughs> but I bet whatever guessing. it is, it could. It's probably much worse than it is here and, and in Europe, and maybe not. Maybe it's a fine or whatever. But I, I do think it's interesting that number one, they they charge somebody, which means they're admitting that somebody made a mistake, which they never do. And I'm also interested that it's the mayor. So if if anybody can help us do a deeper dive in that, let me know. Yeah. Reach out to us because I would love to understand why the mayor is being charged. But at least they're charging somebody, and and you know, hopefully that acts as a deterrent. Well, I just think it's
1: weird that they're not including other people in this. Yeah. Game. And yeah, like it's like he, he didn't build it, man.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe he was the engineer that did build oh, it. Oh, well,
1: you never know. And that's I all for that. this
0: week. That's all for this week. What mm-hmm. about our our IBM shirt giveaway? What about it? We'll still do it, right? Yeah. All right. So if you want to win one of these really cool shirts, very simple thing to do. Go to the show. It's click on the link. We, we give away one a week. Uh, if you don't win, you can register every single week. And then we are really working, I know I've been saying this, but we're really working on some cool giveaways for that unique serial number. So register, win, take a picture of the unique serial number, stay tuned. All
1: right, and this week's rig count is 277, so 4% down from last Damn,
0: week. it was 8% up last week, now I know. it's down 4%, but still 277, let's hope it gets back it, to It's not. It's
1: not dropping big, but you know, it, it,
0: it is what it is. Speaking of is what it is, we got some great help from our, our street team. So we shot a video a couple weeks ago, published it. We asked the street team to chip in and help promote it. And thank you, street team. That, that thing's over, I think over four or 5,000 views right now. Oh, good. Yeah. So street team, thank you. You moved the needle for us and we appreciate it. And then I finally remembered to thank y'all. I am so sorry. I I went back and looked at the Facebook group and I'm just an asker. Like, hey, can you do this? Hey, can you do this? I never even come back and say thank you.
1: Good job, Mark. Yeah, Where so, are your manners?
0: I know. So my apologies. This time I remember to come back and say thank you. But if you want to be a part of our our street team it's fairly simple. Go to Facebook, search for OGG and street team, uh, sign up. There's a couple of questions you have to answer to make sure you're a real person. Otherwise, i decline your request. And we just want you to help us with our social media. And lately, it's been nothing but sharing it. So Yeah, it's been we, wonderful. So a few minutes of clicking stuff, that would be a big help to us. And when things get back to normal, if we're in your geographic area, you can join us as part of our press team and some mm-hmm. other cool stuff. Yeah. And then what do we do with this events news email? Is it going out? At, I thought we were trying for August or September. Okay. I'm not sure. You're kind of in charge of that. I am kind of in charge of that. So we're definitely getting ready to kick this thing back out. And I think we're shooting for August, but not August. It'll be September. Probably. So if you haven't signed up, go sign up. There's a link in the show notes. It's basically all the oil and gas events in one place. We put them in your inbox. Plus invitation only stuff that the public isn't aware of. Plus often discounts and what. I'm not sure what it's going to look like while we're still locked down, but sign up. You know, there's some cool online stuff. Speaking of that, 3 p.m. the la- 3 p.m. Central Time last Thursday of every month we have committed to doing live streams. Um, our next one is going to be about the issue with uh, connected workers in the field. Then we're doing one on leadership. We got one on oil and gas finance. So every month we're we'll going to be doing one of these. People love it, and we like doing it. And quite honestly, we can't go do these things in person. <laughs> right. So this, is, this is our. Temp- I say a temporary solution. And this may be a permanent part of our offering. You know, our video work is uh, taken off. If you haven't heard about our pitch podcast, it's literally, we allow you to come on and pitch your product or service to our oil and gas audience. You get a podcast episode and additionally full quality two camera commercial video. It's dirt cheap at 2,700 bucks. It's a way for you to reach your prospects and your existing clients. Now where everybody's locked down. So go check out the pitchpodcast.com. I think it's all and gas The details of their prices there, but you know, we're doing things different for this lockdown and, and our audience's are enjoying it. They're still being educated. We're still helping them solve problems. They're still helping them with sales. We're still making them laugh. So, you know, we just appreciate each and every listener we have out there. This is not normal times. And as we kind of zig and zag to figure out what we're going to do to make sure we still give you good value, we don't always get it right. <laughs> but it looks like the live streams have got it right. and also looks like the Pitch podcast has taken off and we got some more stuff in the works as well. So stay tuned. Speaking of stay tuned, what's the first Friday Q&A page? That's next week. But what is it?
1: First Friday Q&A, ask us a question. Yeah. So and by us, I mean Mark. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's us.
0: So First Friday Q&A, we do this every month. Go to com. click on ask a question. If we use your question on there, you get a big shout out. You know, I really think, wonder if we should do something other than give them a shout out. I wonder if we should give them the, the unique, collectible, one-of-a-kind, really hard to source, nobody else can get it, OGG and hard hat sticker.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, we can do that. I don't know. It's up to you. I guess we would also need to collect that person's information.
0: They usually give us at least their email, though. Uh-huh. Well, let's let's talk about it offline. Okay. Yeah, because I know what the audience would say if we ask them. <laughs> <And> <laughs> well, then... I mean,
1: we got stickers. We got <laughs> golf towels.
0: <laughs> we got tumblers.
1: Tumblers. We got... Which you also get with your IBM shirt, I believe.
0: That's right? right. That's right. Anyway, and then join the LinkedIn group. I'm sorry. Join the LinkedIn page. That's where all the action is.
1: Follow us on, on LinkedIn. Yeah, Follow
0: us on LinkedIn. Thank you, Paige. You ready to get out of here? Yep. Remember folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time.
2: And here are events on deck. Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering it has been free we want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home so please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events we are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound
0: Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.